Hi, I'm Millie Thomas, an eating disorder recovery coach. We've created this podcast to raise awareness about all types of eating disorders and help dispel some of the many myths and stigma that unfortunately still surround them. I would have given up my entire bank savings. I would have given up my job. I would have given up all my friends just to be thin. It feels like it's like a drug. You know it's bad because you know like this is hurting me, but it somehow makes you feel like you're doing something right. I thought that thinness was going to change my life. I thought it was going to make me happy. I thought most of all, and this was very important, I thought it was going to get me love. This is the End Eating Disorders podcast. Why can't I get joy from anything? Frequent thing they heard, the nursing staff heard, was it was it was when they whispered in the, the ear of the patient when they're really doing it tough. I reckon you can do this, you know, I believe you're going to get there. The eating disorder cannot be more powerful than you are because you give it its power. It's a part of you. It took half of my life, my eating disorder, and it literally nearly took my life. But we, we've seen recovery in, in kids, in teenagers, in adults, and in the elderly. So there's absolutely a hope. There is hope at endad.org.au. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I have the amazing Sarah Maxwell with me. Now, Sarah is a mental health physiotherapist, and she is currently back at university studying a master's of counseling. She is going to share with us her anorexia journey and the impact that receiving residential treatment in the USA has had on her recovery. Thank you so much for joining me today, Sarah. Thanks for having me, Millie. I'm grateful I get this opportunity to share my story and hopefully help some other people out there suffering. I'm sure your journey is going to help lots of people. So let's get into it. Can you share with me a little bit about your journey so far with anorexia? Yep. So unfortunately, my journey has been quite long, up and down. So about 15 years, I would say. So I'm 30 years old now. And when I was 15 is when things I guess my first issues with food begun when I moved to Singapore and I gained quite a bit of weight. And then from then it stemmed to me wanting to lose weight, which began in a healthy sense. And then it just spiraled out of control. I think food has also always been a huge thing in my life, even when I was little. I don't know. I just loved food since being little. And my parents are quite healthy. So they did not let me have a few things, which I used to want to have and I think it just food has just been a big thing in my life since growing since being a little kid and then so I started losing a little bit of weight in a healthy way started off when I was moved to boarding school and then having a bit of independence was let all the rules spiral out of control and not having people there around me when I was at boarding school to pull me up or correct me or so to speak my parents weren't there at that time and then with a bit of prompts from them and people around me, I corrected some things, behaviours and realised then moving away to Melbourne after university, more independence and the rules just became stronger. And I guess just slowly over the years, they've just the rules in my head and anorexia just grew its hold on me, especially at times when I was away from others and at times I guess I felt lonely. So I've had like various community help in the sense of like psychologists and dietitians I've never found that to be that helpful. It's different though, so that can help some people recover. I also went to a private hospital in Melbourne for a five-week period, which again was very clinical and not transferable back to real life. And when 
I went back to everyday life, realized I couldn't really work that well. I wasn't functioning. My health was terrible with support from family and friends and a few um, fundraising efforts. I was able to go to Montenegro in America, which was been life-changing for me. That was four years ago now. And as recovery goes, things go up and down. And I'm not recovered at this present moment, but I'm doing everything I can at the present time to get back on my recovery journey and hopefully be there to support others in the future. I love that you want to support others. I love that. That's, I think, my main goal at the moment and that's what's keeping me fighting. (laughs) It's so important to have those things that you want to do on the other side of all of this to keep you to keep you fighting because it is such a hard battle I do what am I fighting for lists with my clients all the time and get them to constantly refer back to them so when the going gets tough I'm constantly reminded of why they're doing it I've got and I've got a number of clients who like you are like I want to use this to help other people which is just so so amazing yeah definitely now I always like to ask my guests how they would describe being in the depths of an eating disorder to someone who has never been there before. What would you say it's like? I'd say it feels like being possessed. It's like 24-7 you have someone telling you what to do, how to do it, when to every single aspect of your life, not just around food, about everything and you no matter how much you obey their rules it's not good enough and then when you're not obeying the anorexia's rules you are obviously not pleasing your anorexia which is your 24 7 brain in your head but you're also then if you're not pleasing others in your life either so it's a fine it's a constant struggle you're never ever good enough for the anorexia or for those around you in your life who obviously don't want you to be unwell. It's torture. I I always described it as fighting a losing battle because no matter what, there were always these shifting goalposts. If you just get to this weight, then you'll be happy. Or if you just do this, then I'll leave you alone. And it was never enough. It was always like, never, oh, ever. well, I forgot about this. And, well, just try this now and then we can stop. Then you'll be good. And it just never, exactly. ever stops. It's a never-ending rabbit stop. hole. Exactly. And very comparative. It compares to everything, to you with others and also your one day to the day prior and everything. It just is a nightmare. Yes, an all-consuming nightmare. <laughs> then the comparison yes. thing is just through the roof. It's crazy, absolutely crazy. It is crazy. And I can imagine through the last fifteen years, there have been many times where you've felt quite hopeless and like giving up. No. So, what has been the things that you've used to help pull you through that and to help keep that hope alive? I think definitely having the support of my family and friends has been key. Having them there and me being honest with them, them knowing when I'm struggling has been crucial because you're right, there has been times where you think it's just too hard. I, like, I'm like i never going to beat this, so what's the point of even trying? 
but having other people believe in me and people seeing things in me that I don't necessarily see myself is definitely key to keeping me have a bit of hope. At the same time as well, the cruelness of anorexia, I want to be able to stop that from being in other people's lives and I want to be able to help other people. As I said earlier, that's my main aspiration at the moment and thing that's keeping me fighting is wanting to be able to share my story in a healthy place and a healthy body for others and that's what I want my life mission to be basically and if I yeah that I know that for me to be able to do that I have to be 100% healthy myself like obviously I can you can still have body image issues as every female does but I want to be able to speak from a place of I've been there and I can help you so that's definitely keeping me some hope and seeing other people like yourself who've recovered and been there and now look what you're doing and being able to be in that type of space that's definitely given me a bit of hope as well. And how has your eating disorder journey affected your relationship with your family? It's affected it in various ways. My family is a bit scattered around Australia but when we come together it's usually for a meal as it is and that can often be quite a tense situation. Sometimes it's unspoken tension because obviously others want me to be happy and I'm wanting them to be pleased with me. So I sometimes want to challenge myself in food environments to please them, but then I that's hard for me and then I become more anxious or less engaged in conversation. So... It can be quite a stressful environment when we're out at a meal or at a meal situation. But regardless of meals and things, my family, I've become closer to all of them, I think, because I'm open and honest with them about everything. And I find that they're appreciative of that. And I also know that they're there for me no matter what. It's also brought me and my mum definitely a lot closer. I want her support and I want her help. And I know that, have I've got some supportive friends but friends they can come and go and they've got their own issues and stuff in my life but I feel like I definitely feel very much like no matter what my family would drop anything in their life to help me so that's definitely been a key to my recovery and also for giving me a bit of hope and it keeps me fighting in the sense that I want them to be proud of me so me getting healthy and will hopefully do that and I want to be able to repay all they've done for me and I want to be able to look after my parents when they're not that well later on in their life so yeah. Now talk to me more about what it was like to go into residential treatment at Montanito in the USA. It was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life and also the best thing. It was the time when I was most myself at the end of the time during the end. I've never laughed like that I've never felt emotions like that I've never previous going previously to going over there I was very much a shell of a human I didn't know how to express my emotions I didn't know I had emotions my anorexia numbed me completely I was just a shell of a human I didn't really have any good friends or anything I anorexia was filling the void it was my friend it was 
lying to me and telling me that I can be your friend, I can support you, you don't need other people in your life. And when I got to America, initially it was very hard. I didn't talk really at all because I was just constantly battling in my head about why the hell am I here to send me home. But gradually they were able to break down the walls and I I remember the first time that I cried in one of our group therapy sessions and everyone was shocked that I actually had some emotions. But just once I was able to be honest and open and tell people how I was feeling and realise that food isn't the enemy, it's not about the food, it's about the control, that was key. And also them in America and at Montenegro, them being able to really teach us how to live again and food being a part of that life. So learning that meal times can be fun and you can have, sit down over a meal and play games and laugh and you don't have to focus on the food. You can enjoy just food is more of an experience than I remember we had Thanksgiving there and had Christmas there and we did fun things and you don't have to think about the cinnamon rolls and whatever. You have it because it's part of the experience and the occasion. You don't have it because, or if you're a bit full, who cares? Have it, enjoy it, laugh, and you'll survive. They also taught you how to basically feed yourself and cook. We went out on meal outings, and we just learned how I learned how to be myself again. And yeah, I've never felt my, more like myself than I was over there. They, I remember having a true belly laugh is what I remember so much from America just laughing and laughing and before that I'd laugh like that yeah sorry I'm getting a bit of mush yeah I can completely relate to that feeling of becoming more in touch with your emotions again you know I think it's something that is such a incredibly and when there's so many incredibly sad Isolating things about an eating disorder, but I do remember the 15 years that I was unwell being completely numb, cut off from, severed, severed's probably a better word, sort of, because that's how it does. It feels like you are completely severed from 100%. emotions. And yeah. so you just, therefore, your decision making, your opinions, everything is therefore affected because you have no emotional connection to your soul. And I think exactly. that's one of the biggest parts of recovery. One of my dear friend, Claire Middleton, she always says, you can be weight restored, but are you heart restored? And I think what happens yeah. with heart restoration is soul restoration. And yeah, that true yeah. connection that you get when you can ball your eyes out again, you can feel the highs and lows of life and you don't yeah. need that protection almost that your eating disorder likes to put across you where you just mm. feel numb. Yeah, and having connection with other people and just being able to relate and have conversations with other people and being open and honest. And I definitely feel what you mean there with regards to just numbing you. I never felt happy. I never felt sad. I didn't find enjoyment in anything. It was just nothing and it's it's almost like you don't have the energy for it at the time either but it's exactly. that those avoiding those 
that human connection that we so need yeah. in an eating disorder to be able to climb out back into life. And we avoid yeah. that connection because we're scared of the emotion that it might evoke or our inability to react appropriately. You don't have the brain power to hold a conversation either or to be able to relate to people. I remember we used to go on meal outings once a week and at the start we used to try and play games and things and the first few times I couldn't even, everything was the food. I There was nothing outside of what was on my plate. Whereas as my time progressed, I was able to contribute and it was, I didn't even care what, it was just, I'd had whatever I had and I was there more for the connection and the people around me. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. Now I've worked with a number of clients who have also attended Montanito and found it really transformational. But often the part they've found the hardest is transitioning back into their home environment after treatment. Now, this yeah. was something that you struggled with too, wasn't it? Yeah, 100%. So when before I went to America, I was living in Melbourne by myself in a little apartment. And I remember when I got back after six months, mum met me at the airport. She was living in Perth at the time, but obviously came over. And she, she and I walked into the apartment and I just remember this feeling of yuck, get me out of here. I could just, I'd walked in and I just remembered anorexic Sarah, unhealthy Sarah. I need to get out of here. I can't live in this apartment anymore. I also couldn't go back to the same job. I did go back to the same job for a very short time. But at the same time, I just remember like the lunch times in there and everything was just, I needed to detach myself from all those old routines and behaviors and environments even like, for example the local coals I used to go to I was like no I can't go there I need to everything had to be different because they just reminded me of things I didn't want to be reminded of or behaviors I didn't want to go back to so I found that quite hard but luckily so wanting to remove myself from those things I was obviously then looking for a new housemate or a new apartment or a new job and I visited Perth shortly after because my family's from Perth and I grew up in Perth and I met up with a friend and her housemate was moving out and said oh do you want to move in here and then I was like oh I, I would love to but I need a job so then I contacted hospital I worked at previously in Perth and I got a job quite easily through them so then I moved straight back to Perth which definitely helped because I had never been that unwell in Perth so it was not the Melbourne stick Sarah so I was able to leave Melbourne come back to Perth in a share house which helped being around others who were eating normally and being a normal person or living on a budget, other things factor into what you're eating, not just calories. So that was really helpful. But at the same time, I do remember feeling quite comfortable, quite happy in my body in America before getting on the plane. And then as soon as that body arrived back in Australia, it was a little bit different and I felt, I would say my body acceptance suffered. I don't know what it is, but something about that was okay for me to live like that body in America. But then in Australia, it seemed a bit out of place and a bit different. Also having people who knew me, obviously six months prior, and just obviously no one seeing me in the whole six months. So it was a big shift in their eyes of my physical appearance. So obviously you get comments. And all my clothes, they didn't fit me, obviously. So arriving back to Melbourne to this huge wardrobe of things that didn't fit me was another big shock. And 
I tried to throw out a lot of stuff, but there were things that I kept, which I, in the, in retrospect, should have thrown out everything. But there were things like, oh, maybe I will just fit into that one day. So yeah, it's definitely an adjustment. And I, because a lot of my friends who I made in America, so I spent four and a half months at residential treatment, and then I was a one and six weeks at the day programs I was living in Santa Monica and going to day program there with that little transition bit definitely helped because I was we went to day program had a breakfast in our apartment went to day program and then came back so that definitely helped me but there was then for everyone who was from America there was one further step where they would go to a half day or once a week but my visa had run out so I couldn't do that bit I think that would have been quite beneficial for me because Although I was in the day program part, it was still all day. So then coming back to Australia and I had my days to myself again, it, that was a bit of an adjustment. And also the treatment team obviously in America was life-changingly amazing and they knew everything about me and all my habits and all my little things that they needed to be aware of. And I didn't have an established treatment team yet in Melbourne. So that was another adjustment. And then obviously I didn't even stay in Melbourne. I moved back to Perth. And then I had a lot of other things to sort out when I moved back to Perth in terms of jobs and moving and everything. So that side of, like, I took longer than I should have to get an established treatment team. Yeah, I wish I could have packed my American treatment team in my baggage and brought them back. But I do still talk to one of them very regularly. Um, We Skype often for therapy, which helps me, but... Yeah, it's not the same as a physical presence here. No, and I think that is one of the really important things when we look at transition from residential care is that there is communication with, well, at that time you didn't have a treatment team. Most people would hopefully have a treatment team back in their home country or city, depending on how far they've traveled for residential treatment. And to have that real continuity of care there where you've got the therapists and dietitians in residential care talking to your therapist and dietitian on the outside so that there's a real seamless transition happening and because you have so much to grapple with obviously leaving residential and as you say coming back to I remember vividly feeling exactly the same way when I went back to Auckland after getting well on the Sunshine Coast and that not only coming back to a wardrobe full of clothes that do not fit you and will never fit you again, let alone people not literally not recognizing you because you are in a much bigger body than you were when you left. But then there's also this, as you say, walking back into even it's the bedroom and the way maybe you used to walk around the bed or, and from an NLP perspective, when we look at that, it's so important to change that all up because Mm -hmm. that's how we change our brains. It's like an old computer system that needs updating. Yeah, it needs rewiring 100%. Absolutely. And that's part of the software and we need to move those things. And I remember my therapist saying to me, even if what you have to do is completely rearrange your bedroom, none of your routines can be the same. And, you know, it was interesting. I did go back to the family home, but I didn't stay there for very long. I ended up back in LA yeah, because I just needed that time and space away in another one of my happy places, but different. I was house sitting. So it was just so different. I could really find myself and really solidify this new way of life that I had. Yeah. It's funny, like locations and how they connotation with memories because I visited back since and I remember like even before visiting after being back in Australia for a bit 
there was still foods which I kind of struggled with here occasionally. But then I remember I went out with a friend and we had donuts and everything. And I was just like being in America doing that was easy. It was just, but then for some reason it was much harder back here. I don't know what it is, but yeah, LA is definitely my happy place and I really want to get back. You will get back there. Yes. Uh, it's an incredible, uh, yeah, it's definitely one of my happy places as well. Along with the Sunshine Coast in LA, or like that California coast in general, definitely there's something about it that I find very healing and very freeing, very liberating. Yeah. Yeah. You're also at uni doing your Masters of Counselling. What do you hope to do with that? So I've seen being a physio at um, the mental health hospital, I've seen the benefits of exercise in terms of people's mental health, just Often they come just to physio just so they can have a change of environment to boost of happy hormones just to get away from the ward. And they often leave feeling so much better and clearer ahead. And I love, and often I stand literally next to patients on the treadmill or the bike or whilst they're doing their free weights and have a chat to them just about their day or their life or their weekend. Um, and that has a lot of healing power I've observed so I really love to be able to somehow combine my physio and counseling being off being able to offer some type of exercise therapy or something combining the nature of counseling and talking therapy with exercise therapy so that's my goal somehow to create something like that I think that sounds fabulous do you think your lived experience has been an asset to your studies a hundred percent, yeah. It definitely brought me into my studies with less stigma and less stereotypes in my head because I know I've been there myself. I've been a patient at mental health hospitals. I know what it's like and I know that you can overcome it. And I also know that it's a tricky area to navigate that even if you are better in for a few months or you're better for a long period of time doesn't mean that you're not going to have down periods. So I think I've also learned that being able to be aware that when you have clients that they can be doing really well, but that doesn't mean that they can, they still can't struggle. And also being aware of little behaviors and little nuances. And also I know myself when I've been to therapy before, I don't disclose everything. And I think knowing that will help me as a counselor, being able to know that they're still probably keeping a lot inside them and to be aware of that as well. What has been the most valuable thing that your eating disorder journey has taught you? So I would say the importance of being vulnerable, the importance of being open in your communication and being able to show your emotions. I think my eating disorder has taught me that in the sense that I learned how much when I was very unwell, that I was doing none of that. And as soon as I was able to be vulnerable, it just puts a little crack in the eating disorder. And just once you let in someone, even a little bit, it seems your eating disorder seems to have just that little bit less of a control over you. So I think just the importance of connection with other people has, is crucial in terms of dealing with any struggles. Even if it's a completely uneating disorder related struggle, just being able to share your emotions and feelings with someone else already feels like your problem is shared with them. So definitely that's been a crucial lesson that I've learned. Connection is key, that's for sure. A hundred percent, yeah. 
In your opinion, what are the best ways that people can support someone who's navigating an eating disorder? I would say just being able to give them unconditional positive regard and not reprimanding someone if they're struggling. So I know that for me that my family is excellent. They're not, they don't get angry at me if I do something or when, if I say I'm struggling. So having someone in your life or people in your life who, you know, are just there for you regardless and you can go to and just say, I'm not, I'm struggling or I'm not doing that well. So being able to support someone and just even just being there over a meal and not being, not when you're supporting them, not focusing on food. So you might go out for a meal, but not that being the focus of your connection with them and just being there to listen as well. And not also, I think not valid, not how do I put this? Say, for example, someone struggling says, oh, I just feel so sad. And not going, oh, but you're not. Like that doesn't help because it doesn't. Not disagreeing with what the eating disorder is telling them, validating that, yeah, you've got some shit going on in your head. I'm sorry about that. But we can get through that. Disagreeing with what they're telling you, I think, would be important. If that makes sense. Don't quit arguing with an eating disorder because... Yeah, don't argue because you don't win. No rationale. (laughs) And what words of wisdom would you like to leave our listeners with, especially those that are still battling away in the trenches of their eating disorder? I think that you are worthy. You can get through this. Also, that you are never going to be sick enough for your eating disorder. You're never going to be good enough for eating disorder. So why not just be good enough for yourself and good enough for others in others around you? You're never going to win the eating. You're never going to please eating disorder. So may as well please yourself and those around you. And also your eating disorder is not you. That is not you. That you're unwell. It's a sickness. And we can just you can get rid of other sicknesses. You can get rid of your eating disorder as well. Yes, I agree with every single word <laughs> of that. Absolutely. And I think that is just such a conundrum that people get really drawn into so often is this, I be that, but I'm not sick enough. And all I can't do that because I'm not sick enough. I'll just wait until, but the reality of it is, as you just so eloquently said, you will never yep. be sick enough for your exactly. disorder. So park that and stop and the more Exactly. And the more you get into the trend or an disorder, the harder it is to get out. So you may as well get out before it gets too hard. Yes. The time is now. So if there's anyone out there who's listening to this episode and is teetering on the edge of signing up to get a recovery coach or making an appointment with a psychologist or getting on the waiting list for residential care, go out there and do that today. Once you've today, do not waste yeah. your time. Absolutely. Get off this podcast, go and do it now, and don't let your eating disorder convince you otherwise. Because you need to have someone that you trust more than your eating disorder so that you can get on that road to freedom. Exactly. Trust life and trust the process because life's too short not to be lived. Thank you so much for joining me, Sarah. You are such an inspiration and I know that there will be so much that we've spoken about today that will have inspired and motivated people to keep going in their own journeys. 
Thank you, Millie. Thanks for having me. I hope anything I've said helps someone even just a little bit. That's the least I can do. So keep fighting, everyone. This is the End Eating Disorders podcast. Your financial support will save lives. Donate at ended.org.au. I always used to think, like, how can people not hear what's going on in my head? You get to that point where you just, you just don't know what to do. There is hope at ended.org.au.